with the Fiesta Bowl still to go, Dan Lanning has essentially seen two seasons come and go. I feel great about Oregon's coach, and you should too. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review. Please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show where today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. That could include Oregon against Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. By the way, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Some Dan Lanning talk, some Malik Terry talk, some under the radar talk, a little bit of everything talk coming up here today. Maybe even a sprinkle of Dana Altman later. You never know. But I was thinking about Dan Lanning, and I was thinking about Dan Lanning because of a question that came in via the mailbag, which I'll get to in just a moment. But Two years into Dan Lanning's tenure, he has gone 10 and three, is currently sitting at 11 and two, going into a Fiesta Bowl game against Liberty, which I fully expect the Ducks to win. At the point in time where you're winning 10 games and then 12 games, the bar has been set rather high. That's a great thing. And I know that Dan Lanning came into a situation in which Oregon had won 10 games the year prior. Does anyone feel that Oregon's 2022 team? would lose to 2021 Oregon because I'm taking 2022 every day. Does anyone think that 2023 wasn't better than 2022? Because that's absolutely how I feel. So when you look at the recruiting prowess, the talent acquisition, the way that he has coached games on the field, he's never lost a game to an unranked team. Everything about Dan Lanning screams, this is going well. And it is going well. Is it going perfectly? No. Do you know how often things go perfectly in sports? Very, very rarely. It is incredibly hard. When the only thing, quite literally, the only thing you can hold against Dan Lanning is that he hasn't beaten Washington, which has kept Oregon from elevating themselves further into the national championship picture. That is what you would call as a fan first world problems. Now, eventually, do Oregon fans want him To beat Washington, yes. But the comparisons between Dan Lanning and Ryan Day are readily available because both guys, by any objective measure, whether you look at on-field results, recruiting, record against ranked teams, whatever it may be, Dan Lanning and Ryan Day are really good football coaches. They're very good football coaches. They have also lost to their bitter rival three years or three matchups in a row. A rivalry that up until very recently, when the other rival got a coach that finally was able to maximize their potential, Lanning and Ryan Day, that that side of the rivalry had been one-sided in the other direction, the way that those fan bases like. But when I look at Dan Lanning and everything that he's done, if Oregon doesn't elevate again next year, if they're the same caliber of team, which I think will be really tough without Bo Nix, In the 12-team playoff, which many people know I'm not a fan of, but in the 12-team playoff, something Oregon absolutely will benefit from, if Oregon maintains the standard they're at right now, if they never get better again, if they play at this level every single year, they will be in the playoff 
almost every season. Because that's the kind of year that Oregon had. That's the kind of team that Oregon had. Is it a guarantee? No, not, nothing is a guarantee. But I think right now it's pretty clear that Lanning knows how to coach. He knows how to improve. The team didn't just improve. Lanning, as a coach, improved. His staff, I felt like, improved. Everything about 2022 to 2023 got better for the Ducks. If you continue along that trajectory, then Lanning is more than capable of putting together that special season that we've all been waiting for, some of us even longer than others, including myself. But I think that Oregon's in a really, really good spot. And I think that Lanning is really good. And remember, he's been a head coach for two seasons, just two. Show me the coach that is peaking in his second year with the same program, or in this case, a program that he's coaching at, in which year five, six, or seven, he's he's declined significantly, that showed this much positivity in the early going. Maybe there are examples out there. The internet's a big, expansive place. I'm sure people could think of them, but I like where Dan Lanning is at. I like where Oregon is at. No, I don't love that he hasn't beaten Washington yet, but do you think that he's incapable? Do you think that that's never going to happen? You think Washington's about to go on a, a you know a 15 straight win streak like Oregon was on from 2000? And I, I like I don't remember exactly what the years were, but do you think that's about to happen? Because I don't. I don't. I think Kalen DeBoer is really good, and I think Dan Lanning is also very good. Now, that particular thought stemmed from a question that came in via the mailbag, which is always open. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks are the handles. DMs and mentions wide open. You can also get priority mailbag access over at Subtext, free 14-day trial. Then it's just $5 a month. Not a requirement at all. Appreciate everybody that is over there, though, supporting the show. This question came in from Nathaniel. Was Oregon season good, great, et cetera, in 2023? It was great. It's not over yet, by the way. I feel obliged to remind you of that fact. In just a few days, we'll get to see Bo Nix and Bucky Irving and a variety of other players, some of whom played a lot this year, some of whom maybe didn't play as much this year, take the field in uh, the Fiesta Bowl with a chance to win 12 games for what is, I believe, would be just the fifth time in in program history. That's not bad for a guy's second season ever being a head coach. So Oregon has had a great season and can make it even greater. And I would certainly prefer to end the year with a win. I felt that way last year, and I feel that way again this year. I'd rather win than lose. Just kind of how I'm wired, I guess. Oregon is a team that is in a really good spot. And in as a program, is in arguably an even better spot going forward with the way they recruit, acquire talent, fill needs, and attract some of the best players in all of college football. But make no mistake about it, even though Oregon came up short against the Huskies twice by three points, which is a dis- is definitely a difference between Dan Lanning and Ryan Day, Michigan has you know, beaten Ohio State kind of handily a couple times. That hasn't happened yet. Lanning is just he's right there, right there. Hasn't gotten there yet, but will one day. I feel very confident in saying that. Oregon had a great season this year. That is a really, really difficult thing to remember and feel right now for Oregon fans because of how it ended. But Oregon was in a position where they were more likely than not win and into the college football playoff. They made the Pac-12 championship game, which was my barometer of having any sort of a successful season before the year began. I said, yeah, this much talent, Bo Nix, you don't get to the Pac-12 championship game. That's a disappointment. Not only did they get to the Pac-12 championship game, it really wasn't even close. 
The only close games that Oregon played this year were week two against Texas Tech on the road against a seven and six respectable football team. And I think Oregon, if they played them later in the year, would have beaten them by more than that, even in Lubbock. But regardless, great teams find a way to make their losses into wins, as Josh Pate eloquently put. And I think he was correct about that. Oregon lost two games by three points, but who was the next closest game? By by point total, it was USC. Was that really a nine-point game? No, not really. No. Oregon had a you know 20-ish point lead in the fourth quarter and you know allowed a touchdown here and there and missed a field goal that gave USC some hope. That game was never as close as the final score indicated. Cal, not close. Washington State was not close by the end. Oregon State was not close. Utah wasn't close. Nobody was close. And so the fact that Oregon definitively and decisively found themselves in the Pac-12 championship game and won 11 regular season games, yeah, it was a great season. It just wasn't a perfect season. It wasn't everything it could have been. That doesn't mean it wasn't a great season. That is certainly how I would define it. I'd consider your chances of finding what you're looking for on FanDuel right around 100% because as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. They've got college football as well, so you can spice up bowl season. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. That includes Oregon, the money line. That means they just have to win against Liberty, currently a 17.5 point favorite. That might be a tad high, but with Bo Nix playing, hmm. Oregon's got a lot of talent on the field. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. They've got a great interface and a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So go visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season. You can get your college football gambling fix as well. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I always love your mailbag questions. That's why we roll along with the mailbag here on today's show, which some of you may or may not be able to discern based on my social media postings and whatnot. I am recording well ahead of time. So who knows what the big news could be? So let me know in the comment section what you want to hear on tomorrow's show. But this question came in from Beginner Catholic, and this, I like this one quite a bit. This is this is a sharp question right here. First, he's got a couple questions. Who are your top five players that wouldn't necessarily show up in the stats this season? That is a great question. That is a great question. I, I rank these top five in order, by the way. So I am going to go with when you're talking about stats, there are box score items where you can look and say, oh, see, he put up X number or Y number. Not all these guys are like this. You can think where I might be starting there. But also thinking about stats that maybe don't show up in in the biggest way imaginable or isn't always on the top of minds for Duck fans. So number one, and again, this is in order for me. And let me know who you think was kind of an unsung hero and 
not putting up great stats or anything, but was making an impact for the Ducks in a positive way this year. Number one, I've got Marcus Harper. All the talk along the offensive line, rightfully so, was a Johnny Cornelius newcomer. Jackson Powers Johnson, best center in the country. Josh Connerly, former five-star recruit left tackle, newcomer there. Steven Jones, sixth-year veteran. And then Marcus Harper was just flying under the radar. And that dude is as good and solid as they come at that position. You can't have a great offensive line if you have a glaring weakness. And guess what? There's no glaring weakness here. Heck, Poncho was talked about more. Why? Because he was new. Marcus Harper has been here for a couple seasons, and all he does is go out there and get better. And he's always been a great pass blocker, and his run blocking was you know, a little suspect for the last couple seasons, just not quite where his pass blocking standard is, at least. I think he upped it big time this year. And I think that he is a guy who I'm really happy to have back next season at left guard because I know exactly what I'm getting there. And that's a good player. Number two, Jordan Birch. Now, he's someone who gets talked about all the time, but go look at his stats this year. They are not crazy and wild. And a lot of defensive linemen do their best work in ways that don't show up in a box score. And I think that Jordan Birch his impact was twofold this year. Number one, yes, he, he could pressure and sack the quarterback, did so several times. He made some tackles for loss in, in the running game as well. But I think his ability to command attention freed up Brandon Dorless, who led the team in sacks this year or along the defensive line, because I'm pretty sure Evan Williams had the most uh, the most sacks individually. I'm going to pull it up real quick because I am uh, curious, and I thought I had seen it one way, but it might be another way. But anyway, J- Jordan Birch is a guy that I-, I thought made a tremendous impact. I really hope he's back next year because if he's there as kind of the veteran to anchor that defensive line, I think having him at the edge position and – and having the, the other young guys there, yeah, it was five sacks for Doralis and four and a half for Evan Williams. So Doralis got him by half a sack right there. I think that Birch had a fantastic year and was very much, you know, the caliber of player that Oregon thought they were getting in the transfer portal. Was he, you know, the best defensive lineman Oregon had? No. Was he the second best? Yes. Yes. Yes, he absolutely was. Would really love to have him back next year. Number three, going back to the offensive line, uh, Poncho, Iapani, Lalo, Ulu. I mean, nobody saw that coming. I, I, I didn't even see it coming. I, I don't think when, you know, I had Brian Smith on the show talking about recruits from Oregon's 2023, 2023 class. I don't think Poncho was on, was on anybody's radar in a big way, but this is a guy who was Oregon's sixth offensive lineman and figures next year to be their starting center. And he absolutely should be. He graded well on PFF. I thought he looked great in the snaps that he came in, especially in pass protection. But I I think that the ability to come into a veteran-laden offensive line like that, I mean, think about the guys that he was often subbing in for to give him a spell. Marcus Harper and Stephen Jones, those guys have got like 10 years of college football between them now that this season has come to a close. It's at least nine, might be 10, because I think Harper's a redshirt junior. I could be wrong on that. But I, I think that that is just such an impressive feat to come in and never forget, even though Oregon lost back in October up in Seattle, Poncho came in when Jackson Powers Johnson went out with an injury and the snaps were perfect and clean and he was able to be effective. I, I mean, that was big time stuff from a true freshman that I don't think anybody expected anything from yet. It's hard to play as a true freshman offensive lineman. It's hard to be physically ready. And I thought that he did a great job. So he's definitely on the list. Then 
I kind of combine two guys because I think they fit into the same mold. Casey Rogers and Taki Taimani, when you look at Oregon's run defense this year, on the whole, it was fantastic. Like by, by any metric, the way that they you know, defended the, the run this year, here are the numbers for opposing teams on the ground. 148, 174, 59, 40, 89, 99, 57, 99, 109, 73, 111, 53, and 157. That doesn't happen without great interior defensive linemen. And again, those are two players who are not going to show up in the biggest way in the box score. You know, this season, Casey Rogers had two and a half tackles for loss. He only had 19 total tackles. So he's averaging about, you know, 1.8 tackles a game, roughly. Taimani was at 20 tackles this year, only one and a half TFLs. I, I think that those guys held down the fort in a big way. And I hope we don't feel their loss in a, in a massive way next year because it, it, like I said, the whole point of the whole premise of the question that doesn't show up on the box score, those guys didn't often show up there, but they were making a big impact. And you're going to need names like Amari Washington or Terrence Green, Johnny Bowens, whoever, uh, you know, Aiden Breland coming in as a five-star true freshman. Those guys are going to have to step up because I think those two had uh, a really sizable impact. And then here's someone whose numbers are readily available and anyone can see it, but I tell you what, Ross James was awesome. <laughs> I mean, Ross James was awesome. He averaged about 48 yards per punt this year. That was a dramatic step up from a season prior. Helped the defense tremendously. Routinely pinned teams inside the 10. He had 10 punts this season of over 50 yards. He also had 10 punts that were downed inside the 20. Those are the key metrics for being a punter, your ability to flip the field and your ability to play target practice, to act like a golfer hitting the green. You got to be able to set up an opposing, an opposing team deep inside their own territory. I think about that punt against Washington State. That was a game-changing play. No other way to see it. Oregon came out in the second half. They were up 17-13, to 13, I think was the score at the break. They get the ball, couple first downs. And then inexplicably, Oregon decided not to throw the ball and you were going or not to run the ball. And you're going, you ran the ball so well in the first half. How are you not running it at least once on a three down stretch? Like, come on now. And then Ross James pins him inside the five. And guess what? They were toast. And there's a quick punt and Tez Johnson's good return. Then they scored a touchdown. The game was basically over from there. That was a game altering play. And those sorts of things, I think, can fly under the radar. And though they show up in the box score, it's not where anybody is looking in the box score. So my five unsung statistical heroes from this year, um, Marcus Harper, Jordan Birch, Iapani Lalaulu, better known as Poncho, Taki Taimani and Casey Rogers in a combo spot there. And then Ross James, uh, you know, Luke Dunn had a couple nice punts as well, but it, it, it was Ross James, <laughs> you know, um, 20 of his 26 punts this year were, were either 50 yards or longer inside the 20. Like that, that is, outstanding does not need to be any better cannot really improve outstanding stuff from ross james right there you know who had an outstanding year on the coaching staff elite terry that guy's good that guy's really really good and he deserves some flowers here on the show You'll be deserving flowers if you use hiring practices that involve uh, linkedin of course because when you're hiring for your small business 
You want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. And that is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free, which is a pretty darn good price. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully with, thankfully with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So I wanted to give a shout out to Alik Terry because Oregon in his first year as their offensive line coach is a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. That's pretty darn good. That's given to the best offensive line in all of college football. Oregon didn't end up winning it. Washington won it. And I think we know full well why Washington was able to win that award. Their offensive line's really good. I love this Oregon defensive line this year. They are very good. They are very talented. Washington's offensive line is just really, really good. And so too is Oregon's. And I think that Elite Terry having a Joe Moore Award finalist in his first year at age 27, you know, there, there was an element of uncertainty at that position group with Adrian Clem going to the NFL because that's a guy who had tremendous pedigree and uh, did a fantastic job last year. But when you look at the recruiting that Elite Terry ha has been able to do, you look at the development, you look at the execution on game days. I mean, this year he coached Jackson Powers Johnson into winning, winning the Remington Award, given to the nation's best center. That, that That's a heck of a year one. And I want to tie this back to Dan Lanning for just a moment as well, who I talked about at the start of today's show. Part of evaluating a head coach in college football, especially the hires that that guy makes. Think, here's a fun thought exercise for you. Who is the least successful hire that Dan Lanning has made on his coaching staff? It's kind of hard to think of some negatives here. I mean, Carlos Lachlan, that's a home run hire. Junior Adams, yeah, he's recruiting and developing and producing at a, at a high level. Elite Terry and Adrian Clem, yeah, both of those guys have been studs. I mean, maybe Drew Maringer, or not Drew Maringer, sorry, um, because the tight ends have also been excellent. Matt Pallage last year was the co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. He left, Chris Hampton comes in, and Oregon's defense and safeties get better. Okay, like that, that that might be it. That might be the least success, which isn't to say Pallage wasn't good. He went to a Baylor team this year and a staff that, you know, a team that really struggled. So maybe that'd be the example, I, I guess. But Oregon brings in Chris Hampton this offseason. Yeah, there's obviously a home run higher. Tosh Lupoy, stud recruiter. Defense, massively better from year one to year two. And the recruiting along the defensive line, which is Tosh Lupoy's specialty, just continues to be great. You have from Kenny Dillingham to Will Stein. I like Stein more. Dillingham wasn't bad. He certainly was not bad. So I, I think that for Oregon, Lanning is doing an excellent job of making quality hires. And Elite Terry just looks to be another one. So I thought he deserved a shout out here on the show. Going back, going back into the mailbag here. This from a Beginner Catholic once again. Second question. Who do you think has the most potential to be a good kick returner or to be good kick returners for next season? So th this is the area of Oregon special teams that 
can still improve dramatically. The punting, the punt coverage, the kickoff coverage as well, all that got better under Joe Lorig, the special teams coach. The fake punt against Colorado was just chef's kiss. Really, really good. So I think that for the Ducks, if Tez Johnson is back next year, he did a good job returning punts. He doesn't have like, – we, we, we've been spoiled as Oregon fans, frankly, because DeAnthony Thomas and Charles Nelson are probably two of the most high-level return guys in the history of Oregon football. And they came not back-to-back, but in very close uh, in very close proximity to one another. I mean, DeAnthony's last year was the 20 – what was it? 13 season. Yeah, that was the year he, he left. And then Charles Nelson was a regular player for the Ducks, I think, two years later. So – Oregon's had a lot of great return men, but you know, the last couple of years, Mikhail Wright on kick returns as well. He was fantastic. Housed a couple. Oregon hasn't had a kick or punt return taken in the house since uh, Dan Lanning took over. You know, the last one that Oregon had was I think in 2021. Is that right? 2021. I'd have to think about that. Actually, that answer might even be 2019. It, it, it has been a while since Oregon has had a kick return or a punt return taken to the house. I thought Tez Johnson, you know, elevated the return game above what it was, but it was a it was pretty low before. When you're looking at guys that can be good in the return game, the first thing you look for is speed. And Tez Johnson has great speed. One guy that I would watch out for is the newest member of the Oregon track team. He's still playing football, don't worry. Roderick Pleasant. So when he was recruited to Oregon, the biggest highlight about him and what makes him an intriguing prospect at defensive back going forward, and he played on special teams defensively this year, not in the return game, but in the coverage game, is he is crazy fast. He he is crazy, crazy fast. But the question is whether you have somebody that knows how to read lanes and can carry the football and has experience doing that. You know, I thought in 2022, Seven McGee, I, w- I was on this show lobbying for him to be Oregon's return man. And guess what? He went back there and he was very underwhelming, very underwhelming. And and then that, you know, got rotated out and Chris Hudson was in there and uh, like he was uh, just okay. I I wasn't wowed with anything Gary Bryant Jr. did in the return game. I I like GBJ, don't get me wrong, but in the return game, I didn't think he was anything special in there. So I'd look for a Roderick Pleasant. If Tez Johnson is back, you let him keep returning punts. He had some big time punt returns this year. He's small, he's elusive, he's got high-end speed. He he doesn't, you know, have the acceleration that a Nelson or DeAnthony does, but I, I think that he's someone who does a good job and helps out the offense, which is ultimately your, your, your job. Don't fumble the football. Responsibility number one. Number two, give your offense best field the best field position you can. I think he did that. I, I think he did a good job in in the punt return game. We'll see if they move into the kick return game next year. There are a lot of different names that you could throw out as potential kick returners, but you got to have that breakaway speed. That 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 is the most important quality. Is if you are given an alley and you know everybody else blocks for you in a way that gives you space, and you just got to make a couple guys miss. You got to have that pull away speed. And Tez Johnson has that, which is why he's good. Maybe he returns more kicks next year. Gary Bryant was the guy this year, and. Eh, it, it was fine. It was okay, but I think that's an area where where Oregon can improve. But just because of the speed, I, I'd look for Roderick Pleasant. Final question here, this one from Sam. Spencer was wondering how you would feel about McCroy moving to right tackle after a Johnny is gone. He's an absolute mammoth of a human being. Yeah, that's for sure. 
being him and Connerly being the starting tackles for 2025 and maybe have Josh Connerly roll like Josh did his freshman year, use him in the jumbo package. So uh, just so we're all on the same page here, Jaquan McCroy is a four-star offensive tackle in the 2024 class. And when you say that he's big, that is understating things. He is well over 300 pounds and he is six foot eight. A guy that big, I do not anticipate playing as a true freshman. In a jumbo package, perhaps, but Feope Lalaulu was the jumbo offensive lineman this year, and that package was once again effective. So if you can roll out the same group for the most part, I, I think you're probably going to do that. You know, Matthew Bedford will probably start at right guard for the Ducks. Poncho will start at center, and everybody else on the offensive line. It looks like Cornelius, Cornelius is going to come back, and he did a great job this year. I think that you keep that the same. You don't, you know, need to change that up. Now, if McCroy is just, you know, that good, then yeah, he'll play. I mean, we saw that with Connerly. We saw that with Poncho. If you are good enough, even as an offensive lineman, which is typically a developmental position as a true freshman, you are going to play. You're going to see the field. But I don't think McCroy is somebody that steps in right away. And, and you know, from an athletic standpoint, his ability to move quickly enough can can keep up right away. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe he just needs spring football and fall camp to get into that sort of shape and, you know, figure out his role and whatnot. But I'm not expecting him to have that sort of role just because I think he's a little bit more developmental, though his upside is absolutely massive. As for him and Connerly potentially being the starting tackles in 2025, because Cornelius is done after this year. If Connerly has a great year, he's going to go to the NFL. That's the sort of physical profile that he has. He's a prototypical tackle. He's not as good as Panay Sewell. Guess what? Nobody is as good as Panay Sewell. There's an argument that Panay Sewell is the best left tackle that Oregon has ever had. When you look at what he has gone on to do in the NFL and what he did while while he was with the Ducks, that dude is, is one of a kind. But Connerly is someone who I think is a really good run blocker, can still improve, but got a lot better this year as it went on as a pass blocker. And if he takes another step forward, which with elite Terry at the helm, I expect him to do, he might not be on Oregon's roster in 2025. He will be in 2024 because he'll be, you know, a true junior, but after next season, he'll have the option to go to the NFL and that could be available to him. So I wouldn't get your hopes up about that though. McCroy starting in 2025. Yeah. That's something I could absolutely see. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always go ducks.